The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. Welcome to UC San Diego Mi Camino Student Series, where we'll be taking a look at the diverse journeys of Latinx and Chicanx students as they tell us how they made their way to and through college. Today, we're sitting down with Sky Edwards, a dedicated member of the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, who currently works with biosystems and aspires to be like the mentors who inspired her, inspired her during college. Um, thanks for being here, Sky. Definitely. Thank you for having. So let's talk a little bit about the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. What is that and how did that group help you here at UC San Diego? Yeah, so the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, or I'll be saying SHIP from now on just because it's a little easier, um, is primarily focused on helping um, engineering students that are come from a Hispanic background, whether um, it be they grew up in a Latin American country or they're here in the United States and, you know, their parents are Hispanic or Latino. And really it creates a foundation for us to kind of rely on throughout college. And so that can range anywhere from having mentorships and study jams um, and, you know, building up their project skills to working on the resumes, to networking with professionals, to doing mock interviews. Um, you know, every year we have a national convention because it is a national um, a national organization. And we go and have a giant career fair and we get to talk to all these different companies that are looking for students like us and who want to support students like us in the field because we're not that big inside of engineering. We're pretty much a minority for the most part, um, especially in certain majors. And so... Uh, we're really just there for student support whenever they feel like they need a friend to lean on, they need familia to lean on, because we're pretty familiar with everyone's background. We always find some type of relations within each other. Um, and so I actually stumbled upon it through uh, Summer Engineering Institute. So this was a, a, a program that I was able to apply to before school started. So it's a five-week program. Um, where they take engineering students and we get to come onto campus and get to see the campus before fall quarter starts. We get to take some classes, get to learn about engineering with other students. And my peer facilitators, so people who were in charge that were college students, um, I would say like three of them were involved in the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. And so they really kind of found the students that were in this program of Summer Engineering Institute and, you know, when fall quarter started, like, oh, you should come check out SHIP's general body meeting. Like, you should come. It's really cool. If you have any questions, like, you'll find a whole bunch of engineering students there. You'll find upperclassmen. And from fall quarter on until presently, I have been heavily involved with SHIP ever since then. Thanks for sharing that. Now, I know that you um, come from the center of California. Um, your family owned a ranch. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what was it like to be a young person growing up in on a ranch? Yes, my family and I were all from Selma, California and pretty much stayed in the uh, Central Valley. I'm one of the only people who have ever moved out. And so um, growing up with my family owning a ranch and also we lived in kind of like the neighborhood areas too. It was a lot of back and forth of spending my time on the ranch with my great grandparents and helping them out. Like my summers often were filled of learning how to make raisins. It's a weird phrase to say, um, but, you know, things coming from laying down the trays and laying the grapes down, letting them dry, tossing them to get rid of rot, um, 
being able to fold the trays up so we can put them in the tractor or even going down to pruning and centering and tying the vines to make sure that they have a good produce for the next year. Um, it really taught me because I didn't have to do that for a living. It was more of like a summer experience to understand where my family had come from. Um, my mom had gone to college and so her and I didn't really have the experience of, you know, doing part-time work um, to have money. We didn't have to go into the fields that often, but my grandparents on both sides of my family, they were, you know, migrant workers. They <laughs> had to pick in the fields. They had to go to the orchards or go to the vineyards or go to the, like, the fields and just, you know, have a lot of hard labor jobs. And so me being able to go there during the summer with my family who had worked really hard to own a ranch, I had a good understanding and a good appreciation of what my family had done for me. And they wouldn't know in the past, like, you know, I would be the one experiencing this, but they knew that like their family would be benefiting from all the hard work that they were doing. And so that had really kind of instilled in me a lot of the things that got me through college today. Um, and also had like the courage to kind of do more with my life as well, because they always wanted better. They wanted better for their daughter, my mom, they wanted better for me. And so like being able to grow up with that and seeing that I think was really helpful. It kind of remained me humble because I was always the smart kid in the class, but it was always from humble beginnings, which I think is very important because then you always think of the people who are there to support you and you always want to go back and supporting them as well. Yes, definitely. Now, how did they feel? I, I get the sense that growing up in the Central Valley, it's a very tight community. I'm wondering how your family felt, your community felt when they heard you were going to UC San Diego. Yeah, it is a very tight community in the Central Valley. I think every parent had gone to some other friend's parents' high school as well, and they all know you as, you know, oh, you're Tracy's kid or you're Bucky's daughter, um, you're Anita's granddaughter and Nacho's granddaughter. And so um, it was always kind of like they knew I was going to go do big things. They just never knew where. Um, you know, it could be back home in Fresno State. That's the nearest college near us. It could be somewhere else. Um, but when they heard I was going to UC San Diego, they were like, oh, at least it's in the state. But then <laughs> slowly realized it's pretty far. And I think it was hard because I had strong ties with not only just my family, but the community as well. I had done a lot of community service and had done a lot of time trying to, you know, encourage like the youth of Selma to try to change our town for the better again. Um, and so there's a lot of sit down talking <laughs> as to, you know, what decisions I had. I had applied and gone into Fresno State with a really well-funded scholarship. Um, I would have basically been debt-free versus here. I got paid pretty well to come here because of um, financial opportunities that UCSD and the UC system had to offer, but it still would be taking out loans. I'd be living far away. I'd have to be renting. I couldn't, like, rely on my family to bring me food. And so it was kind of, it was hard, and it came down to just, you know, is it okay with me and my mom? Um, a lot of my family had stakes in my childhood growing up. They cared after me. They fed me. They raised me. They, you know, I was basically kind of like their child as well. Um, but we kind of realized that, you know, as long as my mom and I are okay with what's going on, that's the decision that we were going to make. And my mom having me in her fourth year of college, so being kind of tied down to Fresno County and to Selma was like, if you want to do this, go ahead. And that kind of plays into my major too. Um, I didn't know what bioengineering was and little did I know that UCSD was one of the best bioengineering schools in the world until a little later on. And so once we both found that out, it was 
kind of like this is a great opportunity and there's I shouldn't pass it up. Great. So with your mother's support and knowing that UC San Diego has one of the best bioengineering programs in the world, you decided to come here. And usually for, for all students, that first year transition from high school to university can be a little bit of a rough transition. What was your first uh, year like? And if you had some difficulties, um, how did you work through those? Yeah, so like I did mention, I had the opportunity to be in the Summer Engineering Institute. So that was a little bit pre-college, five weeks before. Um, and that definitely helped a lot because even within those five weeks, I I and my all the other peers within the uh, organ, or program felt like we were missing home already. <laughs> we weren't allowed to see our parents um, throughout the weekend because the program wanted us to be able to grow up. We were young adults and we could learn to do things on our own. Um, sometimes parents still came, but I know that my mom and I kind of said, okay, we'll try to keep this as like a five weeks distance thing. You'll be home for two weeks after, and then you can go on to college. Um, and so it helped me grow up a bit, but even then within fall quarter of my first year, I got homesick quite often because a lot of my peers that were in my suite with me, they were from San Diego. They were from LA. They were for only like a two hour drive to home. And so they often went home on the weekends. And for me, it was a five hour plus drive. And that was something my mom would have to come pick me up and then go back and then drop me off and go back and to ask her that of that. I know she'd do it in a heartbeat, but I just never wanted to do it because that was so much time wasted. Um, But for both of us, especially she had a full-time job and then I had midterms and stuff. I can't spend (laughs) like, you know, 12 hours a weekend in a car. Um, And so it was it was hard because I got a little jealous um, that people could see their family so often. Um, but I call my mom quite often. Um, I talked to her a lot between classes, um, you know, before going to bed. You know, my grandparents lived with her, so it was easy for them to just pass the phone off because I didn't have to make multiple calls. Or on Sundays, we'd call and all of my family was at my mom's house. And so that's my, my godparents and my cousin and his kids and his wife. Um, And so it was kind of easy to hear them, but seeing them and then trying to tell them what's going on was a totally different issue. Um, They didn't really understand what I was doing or their concern, like, why are you walking home at three o'clock in the morning? I'm like, well, I have a midterm and it's just from Geisel. Geisel to Revelle is not an entirely long walk and I'm not alone. Um, So it was a lot of conflict and trying to have my family understand, like, why the things that I'm like, I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, In high school, I was home. I 10 and my family knew exactly what I was doing after school whereas college they can know if I text them what I'm doing (laughs) um but uh, slowly and surely throughout the first year I think communication was kind of limited um and that was kind of due to not wanting my family to know what I was doing because then there was kind of like the fear of them missing out and not understanding why I was doing the things I was doing so even if it's going to like, you know, out on the weekend with the ship chapter because we want to have a social and then being like, well, do you know who these people are? Are you safe? And like, you know, it's all valid concerns. <laughs> I, you know, wanted to assure my family, but doing it every time got tiring. So it would then t- go from weekly, like daily calls to maybe like twice a week to then maybe like once a week and then having real conversations like, why aren't you telling me what's going on? And then saying, well, I'm scared to because I don't know what your judgment's going to be. Um, and that was like a lot of stuff that I had to do during my first year with my family, <laughs> um, is trying to condition them that to trust me 
and to trust that I'm doing okay. And then also to condition myself that they want to know what's going on in my life. They had known so much of my life already to this point. I couldn't just tell them, oh, you don't get to know anymore. Um, especially when they're super supportive. And I kind of found that support through my, through ship. Um, they had gone through the same thing. <laughs> A lot of them are, I mean, all of them are, you know, children of Hispanic families, many of immigrants, many Many are only children as well. Others have like large families. And so a lot of the times it was just kind of like, what do I do? My mom is kind of mad at me for not talking to her. Or like, do I tell her that we did this? Like, it's not like a bad thing, but I am staying up till like four in the morning. Um, and so it was a lot of mentorship from then that kind of even helped me with not just school stuff, but like learning how to navigate this with my family. Yeah, that's a, what you're describing is very common. And I think perhaps with Latino families, it might be a little bit more common. It's this push and pull between growing up and becoming an adult, like parents knowing like they are worried about you because you're far away. And, you know, is she eating? Is she sleeping? Who are the people she's hanging out with? Are they yeah. good people? You know, and and you and also trusting you as a young person growing into an adult, being able to make the right decisions like they taught you, right? You're going to make the right decisions. I think that's a common a common struggle that most students go through. And I hear that very often from Latino students. Let's talk a little bit about your major um, biosystems. Maybe you can tell us a little bit of what that's about. And I really would love for you to touch on this um, project that you worked on in developing something that was more uh, ergonomic for the military and, and being part of that patent. So maybe as you're doing that, you can tell us a little bit about what a patent is and then tell us more about your project. I think people will like to hear about that. Yeah. So um, I'm, my major is bioengineering biosystems. So it's one of the four majors um, that you can kind of focus on within the bioengineering department. And biosystems is technically a little different than what the definition is. Here at UCSD, it's focusing on the electrical aspect of the human body. And so we get skills in electrical engineering, understanding circuits, and some transforms and signal information that I won't go into depth because it might be a little bit too confusing, but also focusing as to how those things relate to the body, because everything that we do is because of electrical signals um, when it comes to blinking, even breathing, and like your heart beating, and you don't have control over that. And so it's really, really in-depth in a, a hard major, but it doesn't define you and it doesn't stick you in a hole of doing just bioengineering and we're focusing on the human body. And so it teaches you just a lot more skills that you can apply elsewhere. Um, I actually wasn't in this major to begin with. I was actually a biotechnology major here at UCSD. Um, so that focused on more chemical engineering. So it focused on stem cells and drug delivery and, you know, cancer um, and a lot of those things, which is amazing, but I, I found that I, I naturally excelled in biosystems a lot more than biotechnology, and I generally enjoyed biosystems a lot more. Um, to talk about the project that I had done for about nine months to a year, um, it was last year was when I was really working on it. Um, I'm a graduate student in the mechanical and aerospace department in uh, Joanna McKittrick's lab had developed some type of material that you can basically be able to chew, pick and choose whether you want it to be very rough and rigid or very soft and conforming and have different layers to it. So the outside layer would be very rough and rigid and protect you from things, whereas the inside layer would conform to your body. Um, and 
he didn't really know what to do with it. He knew that he could control these things. He knew that, you know, this is um, some type of like theoretical application and it's possible. We didn't really know what to do. And so he actually was looking for another student to work on an actual application of his research, which is not super common in engineering or in um, academia, but it's becoming more common. And so one of my peers in SHIP was actually working in the lab with my grad student. My grad student had asked him to say, hey, go reach out to SHIP and see if anyone's interested in making a medical device with this type of material that we can apply to whatever we'd like to. And so, you know, I advertised it because I was the president at the time, but I had also said like, hey, I'm interested in this too because this is medical devices. And at the time we were focusing on um, a knee brace just because knee braces currently are very rigid and uncomfortable. I had one, I hated it. And so I was really interested in trying to improve it. So I applied and I joined the lab. Um, And so we were kind of just trying to figure out how can this material be used to help people in general? And so we had a lot of different iterations of the project. One of them was to help alleviate concussions in like NASCAR drivers or in football players, um, also in the military as well. When we started getting interested in the military, we ended up working on a project more of, you know, fitting better helmets, fitting better backpacks, any type of protective equipment that military personnel need to wear don't fit well. People have very different body types, especially right now. Military personnel are, they're inclusive other than having, you know, flat foot and being, you know, not able to see, there's very little things that limit you from the military. But this actually causes a lot of chronic pain in military personnel later on. So even if they don't directly get injured by some type of bullet or some type of, you know, weapon, they can be able, they're carrying easily 50 pounds worth of gear. And if it's not properly aligned to your back or if your helmet's not properly fitted to your head, it's not going to do its job of protecting you. And so we were really interested and we had started building basically these types of fitted backpacks, fitted helmets, and fitted cowls um, that used very simple vacuum systems that were able to kind of vacuum onto the person, but having them able to move still. It wasn't constricting. It wasn't like you're trying to fit yourself in like a sausage case. It actually moved with your body pretty well, but then also still protected you from the outside. Um, Unfortunately, RPI had passed away in the middle of us doing so. Um, And so my grad student, Um, was close to finishing his PhD. And so we kind of decided just to stop at the patent itself. Um, And so we didn't get to do a lot of work further on, but a patent essentially is rights to your creation. So if you've um, dedicated any type of intellectual work, so not just collecting data, not just making something, but an actual edit to the whatever you're trying to patent, you become a creator. And so because my grad student had first created the material that we were using. He was a primary uh, patent creator. And then because my partner had been working with him on making edits to the material itself, he was also on the patent. And because I came in and actually made a device out of it, I made the circuits, I made the diagrams, I made how the device would work entirely. I was also then added as a creator and inventor on this patent. And so we had started... <laughs> um, my grad student was happy with that because we weren't able to get a paper out of it, a publication, which he really wanted us to get. And so we moved forward with, um, I don't really know the name of the school's property, but it's the innovation um, center here that they help graduate students like get patents and make sure that, you know, everything is legal um, in terms of claiming ownership to a device. And so I think the last paperwork that we sent was probably about two months ago. And so I should be able to have a patent on a device that you know, people can use, but they can't profit off of 
And if my grad student so desires to go forward in the future with making these devices a little bit more or investing a little bit more, um, me and my lab mate, we get to kind of work with him and we'll have stakes in the claim. And we'll be able to have that as part of, uh, you know, our background always and forever until the patent expires. Yeah, so congratulations. That's quite an accomplishment. Let's talk a little bit about mentoring. I know that you've had some real significant mentoring relationships. So maybe you could share a little bit about the importance of mentoring um, in general and also just the importance and impact of mentoring um, for you and your, your process here at UC San Diego. I know, for example, um, you mentioned Professor Olivia Greve. So mentoring is, I think, one of the most important things that, you know, BIPOC students can have in an academic setting, whether you're in STEM or not, because you're seeing someone who looks like you or who doesn't look like everybody else that is commonly found in institutions succeeding. And so um, I think there's a lot of different types of mentorships, um, you know, it's there's indirect ones where you are just kind of more of an inspiration to students or like, you know, I worked with Dr. Kraeva pretty often, but it wasn't like a, a tight knit mentorship such as my grad student. But still hearing her story and knowing what she's doing, uh, what she was doing for the Idea Center and for Jacob School, it's definitely like something that you can look forward to aspire to be. Um, there's also things such as like weekly mentors where you're kind of venting to them and asking them questions and telling them your life story where they're not your best friends per se, but they're definitely close to it. But they're there to give you academic and professional advice. And they know that to give that to students, you need to be vulnerable with them and you need to hear them out because there's a lot of things that go into play when it comes to academics and trying to find a job. It's not as easy as just do good in your school and go get one. Um, there's a lot of complications when it comes to it, when it comes to moving, when it comes to like the salary. Are you doing this for free? Are you able to? And it's... One of the things I think for me that really, really kept me going. So I already had determination like built into my body from my family that they're, we're a product of success because we're here and, you know, we're doing pretty okay. And, you know, I, we were, I was raised pretty well and I was happy with my life and I was happy with my, my family was happy with their life, even going through struggles. Um, but there was still a lot of stuff going on through UCSD that made it hard to want to continue sometimes and you know more stubborn than not <laughs> I would say in pursuing my degree but mentorship was the biggest aspect where I could go to someone I love my mother and she gave me as best of advice as she could but there's at the end of the day there's a limit to her knowledge and mentors whether they be upperclassmen whether they be staff whether they be faculty or graduate students they always have a different perspective and I know some people kind of warn against having too many opinions on, on a subject but I think it's good to hear all of those things. Also, to, when mentors understand that sometimes their mentees take their advice with a grain of salt, um, it's kind of part of the game. It's part of the part of the the process that you know that everything that you say is not going to always be taken to a T. But maybe one thing that you did say is going to stick with the student for the rest of their life and going to help them per persevere through everything. And so, seeing Dr. Greve, seeing Dr. Valdez. Um, also, in engineering as professors, <laughs> as Latinas, I think was super helpful because even the small times that I did get to talk to them, it was always like, what decision should I make? Or is this the best one? Maybe not like, tell me what to do, but is this like on the right path? Am I thinking the right way? 
and they'd tell me their story and they always be like, you know, be careful of this or be a little wary of that, but you're doing great. Like, you know, as long as you're pushing through, they got on me about my grades sometimes, that's understandable, but it was never a detrimental way. They always understood that there's always something behind every student story as to why things aren't working out the way they wanted to. Dr. Valdez Hosto was actually um, one of my main letter recommendation writers for grad school, you know, and she got, she was a faculty advisor to SHIP, so we got to work with her. We had the same goals. And so I like to think that she saw a little bit of her and me when we wanted to have access to STEM for Latinas, you know, when we wanted to make great advances in bioengineering. It's something that when I look up to them, I'm like, okay, I'm not exactly like them, but I can be in their spots. And I think I'd be incredibly happy there. Same thing with my grad student. He was one of the main people to tell me, don't pursue a master's, pursue a PhD. You talk like you want to have a PhD. The work that you do shows that you're fit for a PhD. If you want to do a master's because you're scared, that's totally okay. But at the end of the day, like if you want to go for a PhD, go get it. And that's him seeing me as an undergraduate student doing work, knowing my grades, knowing my skills, and like really like being able to not tell me what to do, but at least just set me on the right path. Um, he's always like, if you need me to help you with anything, I'm right here. Same thing with the Idea Center. They were more or less my given mentors because of the program that I was in, but they always had some type of open-ended advice. It was never a single solution, and they always just guided you on the right path, which I think is super important to be a mentor because if you're just telling someone what to do, you're being their parent. Um, and so it, just being able to kind of solidify my choices or like I was thinking about these options, but I didn't know if they were valid, but my mentor at the Idea Center kind of solidified that for me because they gave me the same options. It gives you a lot of freedom to choose what you want to do, but also a lot of security because you know that you're not going crazy. <laughs> you know that you're not going on the wrong track, um, you know? And so it's something that I always aspire to be as an upperclassman too. I always open up my metaphorical doors to any undergraduate student who has questions. And then if I can't answer them, I'm like, oh, but this person I know is pretty willing to talk to students and they have a better idea, you know, just to try to answer your question, but you know, they're not gonna have the right answer. And it's something that I enjoy doing because I hated feeling so lost my first year being scared to talk to anyone. <laughs> I hated feeling like I didn't know what I was doing because I felt like I was going on the right path, but it just felt very confusing. And so just having those mentors there, it was just the most supportive thing because otherwise I really don't know where I'd be right now. <laughs> I know I'd be successful in some way, but I don't know if it'd be exactly where I'm at currently. Right, right. So talking about advice, what advice would you give to young scholars who might be listening to this video? Yeah, so uh, I think the number one thing is whether in your first year or your fifth year, always ask for help. Always ask, you know, if you feel lost or even the slightest bit confused about anything. It could be about, you know, where's the nearest restroom <laughs> on campus because I really have to go before this midterm. It's not going to be embarrassing. It's not something that you should feel small about. It's not feeling like, you know, that you don't know anything because no one else is asking questions. You may not be from the same like you know area with the same background as a lot of these students who feel like they know what they're doing, who look like they know what they're doing, but that's okay because that's what 
a lot of staff and faculty are here for even other students we are here ready to answer a lot of questions we're not a, we're not going to make you feel bad about it we know that there's a lot of questions because you're in college you're learning you're not going to know everything um because i think once you get past that you start to learn a lot more about yourself where you kind of like thrive and where you struggle and you know that you can when you're struggling you can go ask these people for help and you know when you're thriving you can go tell these people your successes and you don't really figure that out until you start asking questions um and being kind of vulnerable and kind of honest with yourself at where you stand um and you don't need to be self-deprecating it's just definitely like a I'm a first year and I don't know some things I'm a fifth year and I still don't know some things and so just to find the right person to ask the question is I think one of the best things you can do. And, you know, that person will then realize like, you know, oh, I can actually help someone too, which helps them in the end. Yeah. And how about for parents who might be listening? What advice might you have for parents? I think advice for parents is to listen to your student. I feel like a lot of the times you want to tell them, oh, that's not the right thing to do, or you should do something different, or I don't know what that means. But honestly, students just need someone to listen, like have just talk to, just to have a conversation or to validate their feelings and to also realize that a lot of the things that they're going to start telling you, you're not going to know, but that's okay. And that it doesn't mean that you're growing apart from your child just because you don't know what this means or you don't know what's going on. But that, you know, to encourage them to just share information with you just for the sake of it, not for criticism, maybe not even for advice, but just to have a shared knowledge about where your child's life is going because that's where my mom and my relationship is at at this point. It's a, Hey, I'm letting you know, I'm not asking, but it's like, she knows that I'm letting her know with them. I did the most research about my decision that I could do. And that's why I'm confident in telling her. And I think that just makes your relationship with your child a lot stronger and a lot healthier. And your child will be starting to grow a lot more because they're not afraid of, any repercussions on the family side. They know that you're going to be supportive and they know that at the end of the day, if something goes wrong, you will know why <laughs> you, you could see it. You can, you can have the background and understanding and that you'll be there for them. The last thing they need is to feel afraid of telling you something because then things are going to add up and then out of nowhere, you're not going to understand what happened. And you're getting close to, I think you're graduating this June, correct? Yes. <laughs> congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. So what are your plans um, after graduation? Yeah. So I applied to grad school this past fall. I will actually be attending Tufts University in uh, Massachusetts for my PhD um, with Dr. Melides' lab, and I'll be studying photoacoustics and ultrasounds for targeted therapies and understanding pathophysiologies a lot more. So that's a lot of information, but basically I'll be using different um, imaging techniques to be able to understand different diseases and to be able to target those specific diseases and treat them at a very localized area, because currently you we just kind of address symptoms or we affect the whole body with medication. Um, there's a lot of imaging such as like MRIs and CT scans that are very expensive and a lot, very time consuming. And some people can't use it because they either have metal implants or their mothers. And so our whole lab is focusing on utilizing these two other imaging techniques, photoacoustics and ultrasound to be able to 
help make things a lot cheaper, a lot quicker, and a lot safer. Um, I have five years to go, so I'll be learning a lot. Um, but I'll also be doing an internship this summer with Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, where I'll actually be doing imaging research as well. It's virtual. Um, but I believe my first project is going to be focusing on um, looking at uh, breast cancer tissues, uh, understanding their relationship within each other and within our bodies. Um, there's a lot that I don't know about it, <laughs> so I'll be learning a lot more. But it's going to be helping me prepare for just the whole understanding of using non-invasive imaging to understand the human body. Um, because I personally know that my family would not want to go to surgery because they don't want to take time off of work. So this is kind of like my inspiration is to go into this very quick, non-invasive, We don't you don't have to take time off of work unless you absolutely need to, um, therapies and things like that. And so, yeah, I'm settling down for school another five years after five years of undergrad, but it's super exciting. It's something that I wouldn't have signed up for if I didn't know that I wanted to do it. Well, congratulations on that internship. That's an impressive place to be interning at. Yes, thank you. So you're coming to your end here at UC San Diego, and what I'd like to do is end our time together by you sharing maybe one or two really fond memories you have of being at UC San Diego. Yeah, um, I think one is a very specific memory that it, it's kind of hard to explain, but I don't remember exactly what year it was, but all I know is that we were studying with diversity org members. So these are other orgs along with SHIP that are focused on cultural um, engineering. And we were studying and we we're very tired and we we're all very honest that we were like nervous about our midterm and it was just kind of stressful. But some joke was said, and I think the entire room was just laughing, that quiet laugh that hurts, that doesn't, like, dead silence in the room, but you know everyone's crying with tears of laughter, and just, you know, it felt like you're kind of going insane, but it was one of the best things, because we were all just kind of sharing very vulnerable moments of being a student of, like, I'm tired, but this is funny, but I'm stressed, and this weird mix that I don't think, you know that I would ever pass up on, even if I was stressed out about that midterm, because those are some of my closest friends, either if they're graduating already or I'm going to graduate without them because they're younger than me. And I think that was just something that was just so amazing in the moment. And we always bring it up. <laughs> and I think that's always going to be the running joke that Sky was trying to swallow water and couldn't because she was laughing and she was going to, she spit it out in the trash can. Otherwise, who knows what was going to happen. Um, and I, I love that moment so much. And then, Another one was more recently, um, I was telling one of my mentors at Idea Scholar, you know, I don't know which grad school to d decide, I don't know what to do, freaking out, and this is kind of the first time I had talked to him in a while, and he just told me, Sky, stop talking, and just be happy for yourself. Look at where you came from. I had a below 2.6 GPA for such a long time, and it was slowly growing up, or slowly growing um, when I switched my majors, but it had been such a struggle for me. For quite some time, I was very nervous about jobs or grad school because bioengineering is very notorious for being picky with their GPAs. And, you know, not knowing what I wanted to do. He's known me since my sophomore year. And he said, just be happy. He's like, you have a 3.0. You are picking between PhD programs. You have an internship with Lawrence Livermore. And look at all the work that you've done. And to sit back, and at the time I started crying, <laughs> And look that like I felt like I was actually successful and he was allowing me to like, you know, appreciate that moment 
you know, I was asking him for help. He was like, hey, enjoy what you have for like a second and we can get back to this. And I never really done that in my entire undergrad. I never really thought about like, you know, the work that I was putting in and that it was advancing me to be appreciative of everything that I've done and appreciative of everyone that has helped me. And I think it was just a joyous moment that I was crying a lot because I just never, you know, took the time to think about that. And I'm going to try to do that more often um, when I'm feeling bad is to kind of, you know, take a step back and just kind of be happy for what I have and where I am. I think that's great that you got to experience that, you know, just taking stock of your accomplishments while you're here. I mean, you're off to an amazing PhD program. You're interning on one of the most prestigious labs across the United States. That's you. You're doing great things. So I'm glad you had that opportunity. And thank you so much for for sharing your story with us, Sky. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me. And I hope anything that I said could be helpful for any parents or any kids or students who are going to be coming to UCSD.